Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sometimes you just want the quick facts. No opinions, no speculation. I'm Claire Thornton, an audio editor with USA Today. My team works around the clock to bring you the Five Things podcast. Every morning, me and my co-host Taylor Wilson help you know what to keep an eye out for that day. We always have a fresh mix of stories, from politics to entertainment to sports, covering all parts of the country. On Sundays, you can lean back with in-depth episodes about stories you may have heard earlier that week. Go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite shows and start listening to Five Things today. Inside Florida Politics, powered by the USA Today Florida Network. Ron DeSantis keeps acting like a presidential candidate. Desperate national Democrats may be taking another look at Florida's U.S. Senate race. And DeSantis weighs in during the final weeks of Florida's legislative session. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald-Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Well, gentlemen, we're about uh, two months into 2024, a busy election year, uh, about two weeks away from the end of Florida's legislative session. So there's a lot uh, going on. What, what kind of numbers do you have for us today? John? Well, Zach, I did come packing a number this week, and, and this is Florida. I'm carrying a 22. All right, John, uh, packing heat. How about you, Antonio? You know my mantra, John goes high, I go low. I got a 17. 17. All right. And I'm uh, above everybody with a 600 this week. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll let you know what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, South Carolina voters will head to the polls this week to cast their ballots in the Republican presidential primary between Nikki Haley and Donald Trump. The primary has been a one-on-one matchup since DeSantis dropped out of the race in January. So why did DeSantis show up in South Carolina this week? That's a question that was on the minds of some political observers when DeSantis announced a press conference at the South Carolina State Capitol. John, this event ostensibly was about DeSantis's push uh, to enact congressional term limits. He wants uh, to to do a constitutional convention, but it comes right as uh, this primary campaign is is heating up. uh, And and it really seems like lately he's really been uh, going out of his way to do events where he's trying to be in the national spotlight. It does seem like DeSantis is trying to keep his name and his face out there. Um, As you point out in South Carolina, uh, you know, while he seemed to go on mostly about the need for term limits for members of Congress, uh, an interesting idea, but something that may require a virtually unprecedented uh, constitutional convention to enact. um, He did also manage to take a swipe at Nikki Haley for her continued candidacy. So I guess that amounts to uh, a little bit of a kiss the ring moment for his uh, devotion to Donald Trump. But but DeSantis also seems to be hedging his bets some. Uh, you know, he's trying to dent Haley as the only possible alternative to Trump. 
uh, by keeping his name out there. But then in a private phone conversation with uh, supporters that a handful of reporters listened in on, DeSantis took some shots at Trump, casting him as playing identity politics when it comes to choosing a running mate. Uh, you know, in other words, trying to uh, add a minority or woman to his ticket, saying he had no interest in being Trump's running mate, says DeSantis. And uh, and, and and then DeSantis blasted uh, conservative media for playing up to Trump during primary season. So, you know, th th there's a lot this week from uh, DeSantis on this, uh, a lot of things to unpack there. Uh, you know, presumably the idea would be that somehow adding into this summer's Republican National Convention, if Trump's frontrunner status is in jeopardy for the nomination because of criminal convictions, more indictments, or a, a health episode for this still spry, but uh, not exactly spring chicken 77-year-old, then DeSantis, the old Yale baseball captain, he seems to be saying he's ready to grab a bat and come in off the bench as a pinch hitter. But, um, you know, to further complicate matters, we'll, we'll probably at some point later this year, you, you also think you'll be seeing DeSantis make more vigorous appearances on Trump's behalf in various states, you know, kind of a get out the vote uh, appearance uh, somewhere. But um, it, that will make DeSantis a good, loyal Republican advocate that will help him with the party faithful. But when it comes to Trump not making it to the ballot and DeSantis being a late substitute, you know, I, I think the governor at this point is really more like Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber. He might be thinking, so you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be clear, it's, it's it seems like a pretty outside chance, especially this election cycle. But it does seem like potentially DeSantis is trying to stay in the mix uh, in 2028, if if uh, Trump uh, flames out, that maybe he can say "I told you so" and and uh, you know throw his hat in the ring for 2028 or or even later. You know he's he's very young, so it, it seems like he definitely wants to keep his national profile up. Though Antonio John mentioned that DeSantis uh, took a dig at Trump's uh, Veep selection process this week mm -hmm. in a private call with donors that. That uh, really resulted in another round of open hostilities from Trump world. They didn't like that at all. They started savaging DeSantis again on social media. What did you make of that? Well, I thought it was kind of interesting when first Trump offered up the idea that DeSantis could be one of his vice presidential running mates, uh, which struck me by surprise. So now that he's being savaged again, I guess that means maybe he's not on the VP shortlist things, anymore. Things move quickly in Florida politics. They, and especially in Trump world. But uh, one thing I do say before we get too much into this DeSantis, perhaps VP talk, uh, the 12th Amendment uh, states that the president and the vice president should not be from the same state. And uh, constitutional scholar down here, Kevin Wagner, has explained a number of times in the past that uh, if that were the case, uh, they would have to forfeit Florida's 30 electoral votes. And I don't think that's Mr. Trump is going to want to do that. So yeah. uh, perhaps it wasn't that much to lose by the governor maybe getting himself bumped off that list. Yeah, and and it was always that was pretty far fetched, and and it was interesting. He really, Trump only really said that he was open to DeSantis as a vice president when he was asked about it specifically by a Fox News host who listed a bunch of other candidates, and he just said, "Sure, yeah, they're all great people," but it's not a name that he was floating himself. And after that right. contentious primary, it really seemed uh, very highly unlikely. And now that they're back to attacking uh, each other on social media, that that seems like it's pretty much off the table. When we come back, our national Democrats taking another look at Florida's U.S. Senate race. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, 
human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, DeSantis' doomed presidential bid attracted a lot of attention. One Florida race that hasn't been getting as much scrutiny is the U.S. Senate contest between Rick Scott and Debbie Mukersell Powell. Florida's U.S. Senate races used to be some of the most blockbuster contests in the country. They received intense national interest and tons of spending. But there are big questions about whether that will continue this cycle. Florida has been trending red, and Scott is extremely wealthy and willing to spend his own money. And that has some led some to believe that uh, national Democrats will skip this contest. But, Antonio, Democrats don't really have a lot of options. They're really playing a lot of defense on the Senate map uh, this cycle. And the, 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 even some of their defensive options don't look great. It looks like they could, could lose uh, a seat or two that they hold right now. And their options for offense are, are really limited to, to Florida and Texas. So there's a sense maybe that they might have to reconsider this this state. What are you hearing? Well, they're going to reconsider it, but they, they may not like what they're reconsidering because the fact of the matter is that Florida, as we have written about a number of times, is is pretty much in the red category. And the fact, you know, that we, we've talked about the how Florida voter registrations have really trended big time in, in the Republicans' you know, direction. And, and if we go back into our Inside Florida Politics podcast time machine, uh, remember about this time last year, we were wondering who's going to run against Rick Scott. And then you, we saw the floating of really just some fantastical, wishful thinking. Uh, Dwayne Wade, the former Miami Heat star. Uh, Fred Gutenberg, who is one of the, the Parkland parents whose daughter was, was killed at, at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting and has become somewhat of a, of a big figure in the gun safety movement. His name got bandied about. So the, the problem right now is it's all about math. And r- Democrats have a very slim 51 to 49 seat majority, but they're looking to, they're probably going to lose the West Virginia race where Joe Manchin is retiring. And that's a deep, deep red state. In fact, it, 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 West Virginia is so red, it makes Florida look pink. Um, and then you've got a, a potential loss in Maryland where Ben Cardin, the Democrat, is retiring as well. And Larry Hogan, the very popular former governor of Maryland, has thrown his name in the ring there. And then, of course, there's Arizona, where you've got Kristen Sinema, who is an incumbent, but has decided to be an independent, not a Democrat. And that could be a, a three-way race between Sinema, the incumbent, and then uh, Ruben Gallegos, the Democratic uh, congressman who's running for the, the Democratic nomination, and then Carrie Lake, the really big-time MAGA star in Arizona. So that could be another loss. So right there, there's three seats that are in play. So they got to take one from the Democrats. I'm sorry, they got to take one from the Republicans. The really two options they're kind of looking at, one is Texas, where Ted Cruz is up for re-election. I, I actually talked to Ted Cruz about his race at Mar-a-Lago a couple of weeks ago at an event, and he seemed pretty confident. You know what? Six years ago, everybody was betting on Beto O'Rourke to knock him off and didn't really even come close. And then there's Rick Scott, who you know, won his race back in 2018 by just 10,000 votes. But as we've talked about, 2018 is a far, far time away 
from and it's really remarkable that you could go from winning a race by 10,000 votes to being off the table. And I think Democrats are, are struggling to, to come to grips with that. But things have changed remarkably in six years in Florida. You know, you talked about the voter registration. You talked about, I mean, DeSantis won by almost 20 points. Do you think that there's a real shot that national Democrats invest in this race because they really didn't invest uh, anything at all in the midterm elections in Florida? No, they didn't. And, you know, the fact of the matter is they did invest significantly in 2022 trying to have Val Demings knock off Marco Rubin. Now, Marco Rubin is a lot more popular in Florida than, than Rick Scott has demonstrated in his elections. But nonetheless, you know, we don't we I haven't seen that kind of money pouring into the Democrats running for the you know, for the uh, the nomination here. And then you're going up against Rick Scott, who has a lot of money to spend um, and who is and has, and has shown he's willing to spend it. I mean, literally, been, yeah. you know, hundred million dollars in some races, which is an astronomical amount of money. And, and if you're a Democrat thinking, where am I going to spend my money? It seems like uh, going up against Scott is uh, could be a daunting task. But like you said, they don't have a lot of options, do they? No, that's that's basically all they got. When you look at that map, it, it's just not looking good for them uh, to hold that Senate majority. Well, we'll see how that race develops. You know, it is really the big uh, marquee race in Florida this year, other than the uh, presidential race. And it's not even clear if Democrats are going to play uh, in the presidential race uh, in Florida and whether Biden's campaign will invest here at all. So this uh, election season will really be important to watch to see if Democrats feel like this state is still in play at all. And, and you'll know it uh, by how much they spend here. When we come back, we'll discuss the last two weeks of Florida's 60-day legislative session. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. There are two weeks left in Florida's 60-day legislative session, and a lot of questions remain, including whether DeSantis can continue to exert his will on the legislative process. John, how's DeSantis doing when it comes to his legislative priorities? Well, you know, he'd had uh, complete control over this Republican-led legislature the last couple of years. Uh, this year, well, it's, it's not perfect. Uh, while he's still going to get most of what he wants this year, the uh, the few moments when there is a difference between the governor and the legislature, well, th th those moments kind of shine a little bit brighter because we've not seen them before. Uh, Kathleen Pasadomo, the uh, Senate president, for example, she's put the kibosh on a couple of bills that ban local governments and schools from putting up pride flags and uh, another that bans the removal of Confederate monuments. Uh, now, DeSantis hadn't really clamored for these bills, but uh, the Florida Republican Party did, and that the party is largely an extension of DeSantis. You know, all, all told, it's kind of part of an overall uh, stop woke brand that DeSantis likes to, to boast about. But um, in this case, it looks like that's not going to happen. And um, 
Just this past week, uh, a bill advanced that the governor's allies seemed to suggest that that it caught him by surprise, where the House wanted to bring back the state's runoff primaries. Uh, that's the second primary that we used to have uh, in the in the last century. We, we last had one in, I think it's 2001. But um, it, right now, it's only uh, you, you win a primary just with a plurality of the votes. The runoffs are designed to make it where you have to win a majority of the vote in your uh, party primary. Um, well, it, some Trump allied legislators, including a couple of former Florida Republican chairs, pushed back really hard against this idea, which was kind of a, generally viewed as a potentially uh, designed to prevent MAGA candidates from winning primaries with a slim plurality of the vote. Yeah, there was a thought that maybe it was aimed at Matt Gates, the firebrand Republican congressman from the panhandle, who's a, a top Trump ally and has been rumored uh, that he wants to run for governor. Right. And uh, and and Gates, uh, with that said, uh, also kind of fed into that uh, suspicion. And he said he's not running for governor. But well, this, this is, you know, February of 2024. We'll see what it's like in 2026, if he's really running or not. But um, but yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of political uh, gamesmanship at play. But uh, some tell me that, you know, DeSantis certainly knew about the idea to bring back the runoff, but then began protesting when he saw that it lacked full support. Um, so there's a view that it's part of an effort by DeSantis to kind of, you know, help pick the field for who will succeed him as governor. Uh, you know, does he really care? Well, it, it, it seems hard to believe that uh, a bill like this would get rolled out without the governor's knowledge. Uh, anyway, the bill right now looks kind of dead or at least troubled. But beyond that flashpoint, uh, DeSantis also has struggled to get the House uh, on board with his idea for a property insurance tax break. And uh, he had no success in trying to get uh, Miami Beach Fountain Blue hotel boss, uh, Jeffrey Sofer, uh, to get him legislation that could open the door to a casino at the hotel. So um, th th that was something that the, the, the House, again, just uh, ruled out. So for DeSantis, this session has been uh, not exactly the wide open highway that it's been in the past. Uh, you know, you wonder why. Maybe it's just that he's lost some of his star power. And uh, then also he put in little time trying to prepare a package of proposals or anything like that or right. win it seemed like when he was running for president, he kind of took his eye off the legislature a little bit, didn't have as many priorities this year, not as many hot button issues that he was pushing. He's kind of come back after dropping out of the presidential race and said, oh, I'm I'm interested in things like, uh, you know, uh, going after uh, public displays of homelessness, things like that. But th these weren't really things that he was talking about before the session. Yeah, he was too busy out in Iowa, you know, and uh, he wasn't paying attention to what was uh, soon to unfold in Tallahassee, which is the legislative session. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of late in the game right now. Um, it, it's it's an interesting dynamic where many of us are looking for signs that the uh, his fellow Republicans are breaking with him. But um, I think in small ways they are. But, uh, you know, in, in the larger uh list of legislation, I think he's still going to come out of this session looking like he got most of what he wanted. Yeah. In general, they seem to want to to agree with him, if for no other yeah. reason than that he can veto all of their bills. And so right. they, they want to stay on his good side. But it's interesting now that Trump world is savaging again, him again. Maybe they're not quite as afraid of him. Trump's the big dog here. And, and uh, DeSantis has been diminished somewhat.
Yeah, yeah, because th these legislators hold an allegiance to Trump, but they also see that DeSantis still has some level of popularity in Florida, and yeah. they're all running again for re-election. So they, they want to be on the, uh, the good side of whoever can help them, undoubtedly. Well, just two weeks to go here. A lot happens in the final weeks of the legislative session. Uh, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But we'll move on to some numbers now. Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, I had 17, which is the number of students and uh, faculty members that were killed in the uh, 2018 Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School mass shooting. And uh, this year, we uh, just about a week and a half or so ago, we uh, honored and marked the sixth anniversary of the shooting. And and this year, it's, there's been quite a bit of reflection, largely because uh, government officials and others have been been taken on a tour of the building where the massacre took place. And, and in, just in the last month, we've had the U.S. Secretary of Education and the second highest ranking member of the Democratic Caucus in Congress go through the building. And afterwards, there were a number of discussions about what they saw, what they how they viewed it. And I was able to listen in on those discussions. And I, but I have to tell you that six years later, the legacy of the school shooting is, is a lot more complicated than maybe it looked like a couple of years ago. It's obviously the tragedy led to the passage in Florida of major reforms to gun safety measures, the, the red flag laws, the raising the age of 21 and so forth. And it's been a model for other states and even some congressional action about uh, two years ago. But um, Beyond that, the discussion today focuses on things like how to make schools more like fortresses, things like automatic locks on doors and putting film on, on windows so that a shooter can't see through them and having armed guards on property. And, and it struck me at one point during one of these discussions, there was an analogy drawn to September 11th and how after the, the attacks on the World Trade Center, the Pentagon and, and elsewhere through the airlines, how airport security was ramped up and how airlines, airliners themselves with cockpit safety doors and so forth. And that's, that's what we need to do now. And it struck me that it's a troubling analogy given that global terrorism is, is worldwide. It happens everywhere, whereas mass shootings only happen in this country. This is the only country in the world where this happens. And it seems to me that just the discussion of how are you gonna harden all these public places seems very complicated if that's really the solution. If it really, if the solution is not more action on gun safety, if the solution is basically protecting people against shooters. It was, it's a very complicated answer. And, and just to underscore this, on the day that we marked the, the sixth anniversary of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, there was a shooting at a mall in Palm Beach County at the Gardens Mall in, in Palm Beach Gardens. And uh, one person was injured, two have, people have now been arrested. But basically, that day, there was a mad scramble, a lot of fear, a lot of scared people in that mall. And ultimately, the mall at 2 in the afternoon on a busy St. Valentine's Day shopping day was shut down uh, for the rest of the day and didn't reopen to the next day. So six years later, yeah, a lot was done in Florida. A lot of good things were done. But the legacy of that school shooting is still a very complicated one. Yeah. And, it, and it's really evolved over the years. You know, initially there was uh, some effort by even, uh, Republicans even in the legislature to do some gun control 
measures and they also armed push to arm have armed guards in schools and even armed some teachers uh, and now there's been talk about repealing some of those gun uh, measures uh, since then um, and it seems like the only thing that uh, they can agree on is is more funding for this mm-hmm. school hardening so maybe that's the reason why it's gone in that direction well john you want to tell us about your number yeah, Zach, uh, the 22 that I came in with is uh, that, that's the number of general bills, local bills, resolutions and memorials that have been approved by both the House and Senate this year. 22 out of 1,887 that have been filed. That's that, that's only 1% of all the bills that have been filed have actually cleared the House and Senate this year. Um, so, you know, you hear a lot about the do-nothing Congress locked in partisan gridlock, but but you're right if you think that a 1% passage rate is is low for a Florida legislature with Republican supermajorities. Um, you know, I occasionally turn to these stats uh, during legislative sessions just to see how, how we're doing. And uh, this year's output does seem a little low given past history. Uh, you know, it, it's never super high at this point, but um, at this point of the session. But um, still, 1% seems to be uh, less than usual. Uh, you know, you know, I often liken the legislative process to a, an NBA game with most of the action occurring in the closing moments. But, uh, you know, we're, we're heading into the final two weeks of the session. So, you know, maybe there's still a lot to do. Or uh, then again, maybe maybe not. Uh, maybe this legislature is sort of content with, uh, you know, when you look at the, the lineup of bills this year, which include plenty of controversial measures, you know, creating a a fetal personhood, more LGBTQ restrictions, the removal of a lot of local government authority. Well, you know, for many people watching this legislature, you know, no action will be a good thing. So, um, you know, that 1% passage rate is certain to improve, but by how much, you know, the next two weeks will tell us. All right. Legislature with a pretty low field goal percentage there. We'll see if they, they get it up in the final uh, two weeks. Well, my number is 600. That's how many books were challenged in Florida last year by just two individuals. That number came from a really good Tampa Bay Times story. They did a comprehensive look at book challenges in Florida, and they found that there were about 1,100 book challenges uh, submitted in Florida schools last year by members of the public. So that 600 from just two individuals means that just two individuals accounted for more than half of all of the book challenges in Florida last year. And that number is important because uh, uh, Governor DeSantis has been out talking about the school book issue. He recently did a, a press conference Um, where he came out and said that he wanted to make uh, changes in state law regarding the book issue. You know, these uh, book bans in Florida, as as a lot of people call them, which DeSantis pushes back on that term and says it's a hoax, it's become a huge issue in the state over the last year. It's attracted a lot of national attention. National groups have been weighing in, saying Florida is trying to censor uh, school books, Uh, It it really all cropped up after DeSantis passed some laws that uh, restricted what could be in school books, particularly anything related to, uh, you know, sexual uh, discussions um, and, uh, you know, some new requirements for school districts as to how they handle uh, this book content has, has really caused a lot of confusion, a lot of controversy uh, in Florida over the last year. 
And uh, DeSantis has, has felt the need to really come out on multiple occasions and, and talk about this issue, uh, recognizing that it has become a really hot button issue. And his latest comments, he, he seemed to acknowledge that um, removing books from school has gone too far and said that there are, quote, bad actors uh, in the system who are, quote, gumming up the works and, and uh, you know, trying to, uh, you know, put in too many book challenges, which was an interesting uh, acknowledgement for him that, that uh, you know, some members of the public uh, have gone too far uh, with this. Um, but in that same press conference, he really slammed school districts and said that they have overreacted and that they're preemptively removing uh, books from the schools and denying children access to classic books. Um, but school districts say that there's really, uh, it's been difficult to interpret these laws uh, and that there's still a lot of confusion around uh, the laws that DeSantis passed and a lot of ambiguity. But this looks to be an issue that will continue. DeSantis has, has endorsed um, or legislation cracking down on book challenges, but also is asking the Department of Education to move forward with new rules that could penalize school districts uh, if they preemptively remove books. So that'll be a big thing to watch uh, over the next year. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Rob Landers. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. We're out of here. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.